I remember sitting on a bench at the gym and I was thinking to myself, well, if I, if I go back to like my old life and basically have a job and then a family, like how the heck am I going to keep coming to the gym every day at five or 6 a.m. in the morning to stay healthy? And, and I was staring at this giant cable crossover machine, which is just standard weight machine that you see at the gym. And I was like, if I could just get this into my one bedroom apartment in San Francisco, I could just like do my, my routine every morning before going to work and it'd be perfect. And I realized the reason why this thing was so big and also dumb is because it relies on big metal plates and gravity to work. And if I could run it on electricity instead, then I could shrink it. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Ali Arati is the founder of Tonal, the smartest piece of gym equipment that's revolutionizing strength training. Ali began his career in supercomputing, but at 35, he found himself unhappy and overweight with type two diabetes and sleep apnea. So he quit his job and he spent nine months getting healthy. The key to his success was strength training. But with children, careers, and commutes, small apartments in big cities, There was never enough time to get to a gym or enough space for dumbbells and barbells at home. Over the years, we've seen the evolution of exercise bikes, treadmills, and fitness trackers. But one piece of equipment, the dumbbell, has never been reimagined or reinvented until 2015, when Ali thought to swap metal weights and gravity for electromagnetic resistance. Tonal's proprietary digital weight system has over 40 patents filed and can generate 200 pounds of resistance and replicate every machine in the weight room with a fraction of the equipment. The company is currently valued at $1.6 billion and has some of the world's top professional athletes invested in the company. Stefan Curry, Clay Thompson, Serena Williams, Barry Bonds, Maria Sharapova, Michelle Wee, Drew Brees, Mike Tyson, and many others. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Ali, and I started our conversation by asking him about the catalyst for Tonal, his own health. So happy to be here. Thanks for, for having me on, on the show. Yeah, I mean, when I, was, when I was 35 years old, I mean, you got to realize by this point, I'm like 16 years into my career. I've been doing technology, a lot of like really big, heavy, like supercomputers and, and things like that. And, and kind of in some ways have this thriving career and in some ways like one part of my life is going really, really great. But then there's this other part of my life, which is my health. And it's, it's literally just a complete disaster. I was overweight. I'd actually been overweight since I was a kid. I was literally like the chubby seven-year-old kid with classes, stupid code. I had, by that point, I developed type two diabetes. I developed sleep apnea and, and like the number of health issues related to, to me being, being overweight were just, they're starting to rack up. And it felt like I was heading towards a point of no return. If I didn't like do something about this, it's just going to be a disaster and, and also become like irreversible. So I decided to just focus on my health. So I, I literally like, quit my job. I spent about nine months focused on my health, lost 70 pounds, got my A1C under control, which is the marker for type two diabetes. The sleep apnea completely went away. A bunch of other health issues just started to like slowly like undo themselves. And it was, it was really a, a really important journey for me personally, because 
I got healthy, but also because it's ultimately what led me to building Tonal, which is why we're here today. Exactly. And I want to talk about Tonal, but really I want to talk first a little bit about your story and how you, you got to Tonal. And, and obviously at that time, you just said you were working so much and, you know, as a developer, and I, I can only imagine the hours. Was that difficult for you just to walk away at that point, even though so many people have so many health issues, but work is a lot of what defines them. I, I fall into that category myself, which is not great, but w- was that a difficult decision, even though in hindsight, it probably looks so good? It actually wasn't. And I understand exactly what you're saying. Like the, the reason I was so unhealthy is because I'd always poured myself into, into my work or whatever it was that I was focused on at that time. Like I'm the type of person, like I graduated high school when I was 15 <laughs> and I just like, just dedication to everything. My entire career, people people have told me that like my work ethic is just like they've never seen anything like it. And um, my guess is like I'm probably not going to ever retire retire early. And by the time I do retire, I will like work probably two or three times as many hours as like the average American. So I do pour myself into it. The the epiphany I had that moment when I when I decided I, I had to quit my job. The epiphany was everything that I have made my full time job, everything I focused on, I've succeeded at. And so it wasn't me like. I never looked at it as me quitting work. I looked at it as me making, getting healthy, my new full-time job. And that's really how I, how I really thought about it. I'm like, well, I'm just going to make this my full-time job until I succeed at it. Like I've succeeded at everything else. It's been my full-time job. And then after that, I'll figure out what's next. And how did you get healthy? What was your sketch? How did you really get a plan? Well, I had to figure it out. I mean, I had to figure it out on my own, like, like most Americans and yeah, but like, it's not, that also wasn't my first foray into trying to get healthy. Like I, I had done what most people had done. I'd gone, I'd yo-yoed and I'd like lost a little weight and gained back and, you know, done a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And, and what I realized is like, what I was missing was, you know, was the consistency. And I already had a sense of like what might work for my body a little bit. And so when I started, I, I did what most people would do. I, you know, I started eating, eating pretty clean. And one thing Michael Pollan said, was here's the diet for America. You can eat anything you want. Just make it yourself. I probably went a little bit more restrictive than that. And just like went a little bit more kind of into, into vegetables, a little bit lower carb, healthy proteins like fish, you know, just, just a lot of the things that, that would be considered common sense from a nutrition perspective. And then I, um, you know, I would go to the gym twice a day and basically do something or I do something active twice a day. Sometimes it was twice a gym. Sometimes it was like going to the gym in the morning. And then like, we have these massive hills in San Francisco I just like walk, pick a big hill and just walk up it. And but the point is twice, twice a day, I do something, something active. And frankly, that worked for about four weeks. And then I plateaued. So I, I actually still remember the moment I was like on a cardio machine at the gym and I'm frustrated because I know I've plateaued, but I'm still putting in the work. And I look over and I'm like, how come all the personal trainers are over in the weight room? And that's when I realized I had to strength train and, and the strength training was the tool of choice of personal trainers for a reason. And that's when the real journey began because strength training is hard. It's intimidating. It's scary. And most people I found, I found out really quickly, have no idea how to strength train. We walk into the weight room and do the obligatory bicep curl and bench press. You go up to people and you say, hey, you look like an expert. You've been strength training. Like, what, what, what do you do? How did you figure out your routine? And, and it's usually something like, yeah, a buddy, a buddy showed me around the weight room back in college. I'm happy to share that routine with you. And I'm like, you've been on the same routine since college? <laughs> You know, and, uh, and so like, that was the really, actually, that was the really hard part is, is like having to like learn how to strength train and figure out what worked for me, but it was quite a journey and very, very revealing. Yeah. Well, I will tell you my, my, uh, trainer is going to love hearing you say and talk about strength training because she, she recently sent me an article 
just on all of the benefits in terms of what people don't understand with, with strength training. And I know that's a big part of, of your business and is amazing the benefits and, and how that could help. And it's also amazing. Like you talked about, like people on the same programs from when you're 25 years old, I'm 50 now. And it's like, I used to do like back and buys, chest and trot. Like I had this routine for like 25 years, but once I really got into it and started to understand about strength training and really training for my future, it was a huge difference. And it sounded like this was kind of your aha moment. Was this the awakening moment for Tonal? That was the awakening moment for, for strength training. And it continued to build as I realized how hard it was to build a good routine, how hard it was to strength train properly where you actually have to take notes. You can't just rely on your memory. It won't, it won't work. You have to take notes so you can like push yourself and make sure you're making progress. And you actually like, you actually need, need a workout buddy. It turns out you can't, you can't quite push yourself hard enough if you're alone because muscle building actually happens at that point when you're, you're failing at just at the end, like those last few reps and you need the spotter with you. And if you're working out alone, well, that's, you don't really have a spotter. If you're working out with a buddy, guess what? Uh, they don't show up half the time. <laughs> so there, there comes a moment where like, I've mostly figured out strength training. I've lost all the weight and I'm starting to think about, you know, my, the next thing I'm going to do. And I remember sitting on a bench at the gym and I was thinking to myself, well, if I, if I go back to like my old life and basically have a job and then a family, like how the heck am I going to keep coming to the gym every day at five or 6 a.m. in the morning to, to, to stay healthy? And, and, and I was staring at this giant cable crossover machine, which is just, you know, standard weight, weight machine that you see at the gym. And I was like, if I could just get this into my one bedroom apartment in San Francisco, I could just like do my, my routine every morning before going to work and it would be perfect. And I realized the reason why this thing was so big and also dumb um, is because it relies on big metal plates and gravity to work. And if I could run it on electricity instead, then I could shrink it. Like we use electricity to propel cars and trains and it's, it's, a, it's a really powerful force. And if you could generate force resistance using electricity, you could shrink this down and also make it smart at the same time. Because once you electrify it, you can computerize it and then hook it up to the cloud and bring in AI. And before you know it, you've actually built an entire personal trainer. And that solved all the other problems I was talking about in the last nine months. Now you have something to guide you, you have something to spot you. And then it just kind of all the pieces just like fell together in my head. And then like, I was, by the time I got home, I was so excited. I started ordering parts. And before you knew it, I was like building a prototype literally on my kitchen counter in my, my one bedroom apartment in San Francisco. Okay. So <laughs> that, that's uh, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> Most people cannot do that or even, but I love it. But you start building a prototype, right? And then where do you go from there? What what were the next steps in finally thinking like, hey, maybe I've got something here? Well, it's funny because the thing about hard, like hardware, hardware companies is they're expensive. We all have this mental image of two software founders hunkered down in, in a spare bedroom or a garage and they're like coding for like 18 months and then they emerge and there's like, but hardware actually consumes dollars along the way. Like you have to buy prototyping. You're like, so I knew I needed to raise, to raise money. And I also knew that I needed to make sure this was, this was really like a thing that I wanted to, to spend, spend time on. So, you know, I'm working on the prototype. I'm, I'm doing, you know, all of this market research and, and really just trying to understand, understand the sector. I'm beginning to build relationships with, with investors. And the thing I was really trying to prove to myself with that first prototype was like, I knew that I was, wasn't going to like emerge with the tonal, like a final thing. Like that was, that took like a hundred people and like tens of millions of dollars, but I wanted to be able to build something where I could prove to, I call it a reasonably skeptical investor that you could replicate a weight machine with electricity. Cause that's really the big, like, that's the biggest risk that you're facing on day one is like, can you actually do this Ali? And I, I started working on that, that prototype and I got far enough along 
that you could prove that it was possible, but, but it certainly was really, really far from perfect. Yeah. And that's what you needed for investors at the time. And what, what year was, so, so what year was this? Uh, this was 2015. So I started around March of 2015. And what was the that that bench moment was like March. (laughs) And what was the landscape like? Cause obviously we've all seen what's happened in the past couple of years and the pandemic and many more people working out from home. And, but what was the landscape like at that time with some of the people who were in the space? The landscape was with the exception of one, like glimmer of hope, a complete disaster. If you looked at the home, it's kind of the fitness fitness market, almost every single fitness vendor at some point that had been public had at some point had become delisted and taken private. So, you know, it had been, it was kind of like selling fitness equipment isn't, isn't really a good business. The only one that remained public at the time was, was Bowflex and their market cap was like <laughs> not pretty. And the only like real glimmer of, of hope for the entire sector was this company called Peloton, which we all know, of course. And when I started Tonal, Peloton had been in market for about, about a year. And they had a ton of trouble raising money. Investors hated the idea. But there was one thing about them that was was really fascinating, which is they went out the gate and sold $10 million worth of hardware in the first year. And literally, I just seen the announcement, Peloton sold $10 million worth of bikes in one year. And I'm like, that's serious money for startup people to sell that much product in one year. And then when you realize that there's also this recurring revenue subscription model, and while I think investors love the subscription model, I think from my perspective, the reason I really loved it is because it it aligned the interests of, of the vendor with the interests of the end user. That most people, they sell you a piece of fitness equipment if six months later it's turned into a towel rack, they already got their money and they don't care. But in our case, we would care. In fact, like we think of our members as like lifelong members. How are we going to keep people engaged for the rest of their lives? And that was a really powerful kind of moment for me. Uh, and so that, that's actually why I decided I, I should go do this. Is like I could see like this new world of new business models emerging, and I could see the kind of the, the legacy players kind of going away as they get like delisted and, and going you know have all of these these financial problems. And it was obvious to me what the future might look like. So you saw that, but how hard was it at that time? This is obviously prior, like you're talking about. Peloton was just kind of getting uh, their feet under them, and it was a different time. You, you saw what the legacy businesses, what was happening. How did you get that first investor to sign up? Oh, it was really hard. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is like, first of all, like I'm, I'm in Silicon Valley and these folks are used to like deep technology and, and the more software, the better. And, and then my background, of course, was like supercomputing and telecom. And I, I would go to all these investors and they'd look at me and be like, Ali, fitness, are you serious? Like, like build me something that bolts into a rack. We'll cut you a check. We wouldn't even ask you what it does, <laughs> but, but fitness really, do you really want to go do this? And so, so there was, there was that element of it. And, and what I quickly realized, and I think this is, this is the big lesson for most, most entrepreneurs is let's forget for a second that it was fitness. Let's forget for a second that it was hardware, which were two things that were a little bit taboo in 2015. That's of course transformed today. But let's forget that for a second. Anytime an investor is writing a seed stage check, you have a company where it's like literally one or two people and maybe kind of the proverbial equivalent of a floppy disk. Sorry, folks, for, for that analogy, but but sure, like you, you don't really have much at that point. Anyone who's writing you a check at that point, you have to realize that is an irrational decision and it's emotionally motivated. And so when you're at the seed stage, don't be using rational, don't be trying to fundraise rationally. Don't go to your traditional seed investors and show them the economic model. Like That's not what it's about at that stage. At that stage, you're looking for someone who has conviction, who has passion, who's going to believe and is willing to make a bet because they want to be a part of something 
something big. And our seed stage investors, like those people who wrote that very first check, I literally asked them about every three months, like, hey, do you want to sell your stock? And I always get the same response. It's like, hell no. Right? <laughs> they, went, they went in with conviction and they're, they're never selling, right? Because they want to be, be a part of the journey for, for the entire journey. Yeah. Also, the company now is valued, I think, at like one point six billion dollars. So I'm sure they're 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 holding on. I and I could only imagine because of the opportunity and the growth. And did you see the growth? Was when was the first time you really noticed? Was that during the last couple of years with the pandemic? Well, so the thing to realize about Tonal is is like we we didn't take pre-existing piece of fitness equipment and put a screen on it. Like we had to completely reinvent the strength training machine from the ground up. Like digital strength didn't, didn't exist like electronically driven strength. Like we had to, to build that. And that took three and a half years, hundreds of people, tens of millions of dollars. So by the time we actually made it out to market, it was about late 2018, early 2019. So 2019 was like our first full year in market. And that was a, that was a, it was a good year for us. We actually did more than Peloton did in their first year. Of course, the market had progressed and all that sort of stuff, but like it was a it was a good solid year for us. And then 2020 begins, and we had just gone through a great holiday season, and we were just beginning to like coast our way into 2020, into the summer where things tend to slow down a little bit, and then they pick up during the holidays. And then COVID happened, and that was that was a massive accelerant because the shift towards at home fitness was of course already happening, but COVID just intensified the demand and intensified urgency for a lot of people. There are people who had you know you you kind of see the patterns. They've been to our website, and suddenly a whole bunch of people just started buying. And the way I like to describe it is like when I look at the charts, right? Our sales charts. If you go look at what we sold on that peak Black Friday, Cyber Monday week, the holiday season beforehand, after COVID started, that became every week. It just like over and over and over. It was like Black Friday and Cyber Monday was happening just over and over and over again. And that rippled through our supply chain. It rippled through like just trying to keep up with that demand has in, in some ways kind of redefined the way we operate our business and the amount of capital we need, which is why we went and raised a lot of money from Dragoneer earlier this year. More from our guests. But first, a word from our sponsors. If you sell your time as a freelancer, Square is here to help make your work-life balance better. Whether you're a lawyer, consultant, accountant, photographer, designer, or another type of professional, Square's suite of tools all work together and make it easy to stay organized without having to work at staying organized. Some of the things you can do with Square include sending out custom estimates to help bring in more clients, accepting any type of payment customers want to use wherever they want to pay, taking payments in person over the phone, through your computer, through your email, or even text. And you will get the analytics from real-time reports that show you what's working best. Square software is all built to work together so you can spend less time on paperwork and more on your actual work. Square works so well because it takes care of business so you can take care of your clients. Learn more at square.com. And our next sponsor. Starting my new podcast business, Amaze Media Labs, this year, I've had two critical realizations about what's imperative in today's business world from when I started my last company back in 2012. More than ever, we live in a globalized world. It's important to recognize that all content today is global. The problem is nowadays, it's not always easy to access the content you want in other countries. The second realization is that in 2021, we all work from everywhere. So often I'm forced to connect with Wi-Fi at the airport or in a cafe, 
The problem is that these networks are never secure and riddled with hackers who steal data. I literally hold my breath each time that my data isn't being compromised. Well, I have amazing news for you because I found the Cyber Swiss Army Knife solution to both of these problems. It's called NordVPN. It's incredible. That allows me to access content from over 59 different countries by simply changing my virtual location with one click. Also, I was blown away that by using NordVPN on my phone, laptop, and iPad, it protects me from hackers and it gives me peace of mind while sending emails on the go from any unsecured network. I literally never knew this could exist. It's a total game changer for you and me. So, like me, go to nordvpn.com slash HSH. You get 73% off your two-year plan plus four bonus months for free. Be quick because this offer is for a limited time only. Literally, it's equivalent to buying a cup of coffee every month, a small price to pay for premium cybersecurity and access to vast amounts of entertaining content. That's a 30-day money-back guarantee if NordVPN is not for you. So there's no risk. I can't recommend NordVPN more. Go to nordvpn.com slash HSH to get going. And we're back. The one thing I, I love about the product in which I was kind of baffled was you say that with Tonal, if I'm bench, you know, I do a lot of strength training, not a lot, two times a week, but with my strength training, it's always a lot about having someone to spot you or someone, someone to be able to help you get that, that next rep. What you've created, it sounds like you've been able to do that with a machine helping you. Is, is that really the case? Yeah. I mean, we, we went into it. I like to remind people on our team, like, especially we have a, we have a culture of innovation. Like we, we like to innovate everywhere. And I like to remind people, we actually innovate with purpose, right? You can't, you don't reinvent things for the sake of reinventing them. So like why spend three and a half years reinventing the strength training machine? Well, it was, it was our goal to replicate the personal trainer and bring that, bring that into the home. So that basically means you need guidance. You need someone to spot you. You need someone to decide how much weight you should lift, make recommendations. And that's exactly what we do because now that it's digital, we have all of this data. In fact, we've now amassed the largest strength training physiology data set in history. We've commissioned original research. We're like literally starting to write the science of physiology because we're doing things that have never been done before. But what we can do is you create a, your account, we give you a strength test and just stay one like a personal trainer would. We get to know you, we get to know your, your body, we get to know your goals. And from that point forward, for every movement that you do on the system, of course, we're like, we're our coaches are running through through you through our workouts, but we're also deciding how much weight should you lift? When is it time for that weight to go up or down? Should we spot you? There's actually the science behind, you know, if you're doing six reps versus eight reps versus 10 versus 12, how much weight should you lift? And how do you, how do you adjust it for every additional rep you intend to do? All of that stuff is built into it automatically. And, and it's, it's like, we take all of the cognitive load of strength training away. You don't have to take notes. You don't have to make decisions. You just follow along and it pushes you harder than you would have pushed yourself. That's exactly what you hire a personal trainer to do. And it, and it works great. People love it. I would love to have from where I've been a diehard in terms of working out and gym rat over the years, I would love to have statistics and all my stats for all that time being, and it would help so much. Just, I mean, that that's cool in itself, which is, which is pretty incredible. But going back to that, that first, who, who was your first in, investor? Oh, that was a fund called Bolt. So Bolt.io is their website. 
have offices in, you know, in Boston and, uh, and San Francisco. And, uh, the person who did the investment was a guy named Ben Einstein, which a very, a very cool name. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, and, he's gotta be, he uh, better be smart. <laughs> yeah. No, he, oh, he, he I guess he, he is. He is. <laughs> he is. And then, and then it was him and his partner, Axel, and I came into Ben and I demoed the product. And then a week later I was in Boston talking with Axel and we were negotiating. And by, by the end of the week, I had money in the bank, which was amazing. Cause then I could start prototyping and hiring people and, and kind of being, being on our way and their like their entire investment thesis is they only do hardware and, uh, and they're looking for hardware that can, that can really transform, you know, transform the world. And, uh, and they saw this and they're like, well, we're seed stage investors and love fitness. And, and this has the potential to truly transform the world. So yeah, we'll put our first chip down. Uh, the next after, uh, investor after that was Tim Chang over at Mayfield. And for people who don't know Tim, uh, Tim is probably considered one of the fittest investors in Silicon Valley. And, uh, and I like, like he's, he's notorious for, for, for fitness and health. And it was like, if he wasn't going to invest, no one was. <laughs> I love that. And then now in terms of some of the other investors you've had, talk, talk about, I mean, I read something like Mike Tyson, Steph Curry. How did all of these athletes come on board? A lot of it was very, very organic. So there were, I'd say, two waves of, of athletes who invested. The first wave of athletes were athletes who got wind of what we were doing before we were, you know, before we were out in market. And a lot of athletes, especially as they got either retired or got closer to retirement and kind of amassed some level, some level of wealth, are looking to invest it. and they're looking at startups. And so, like, they're starting to get plugged into Silicon Valley. And like, literally, I got a phone call from someone one day and said, "Hey, Ellie, Tony Gonzalez is in town. Can you come by and see see the tunnel?" And I'm like. Sure. And I think like five or six hours later, he's like, I'm in. <laughs> right. I think shortly thereafter, like maybe two weeks later, Serena Williams invested. Right. And so like these were these are like very, very early, early investors who basically like saw the vision of where we were going and were willing to make a bet. And then what ended up happening is after we launched the product and went into market, uh totals ended up in the homes of a lot of a lot of athletes. Like Steph Curry just bought one off our website. We didn't even know it was him because it turns out when celebrities buy products, they don't use their real names, they use pseudonyms. So we didn't even know it was him. But then when COVID started, Aisha basically posted a picture of her and Steph working out. And there's like a tonal right there. And we're like, what? <laughs> and then a few weeks later, we got in contact with them and said, hey, how'd you like your tonal? He's like, I love this thing. And, and, and they ended up investing. And then as we got more and more tonals into the homes of athletes, because they, they had lost access to their training facilities, like when COVID happened, and they were building out home gyms, like, when I was a supercomputing engineer, I didn't have a super supercomputer at home. I didn't need it. I had I had one at work. And in terms of athletes have multi-million dollar training facilities and they typically don't have home gyms. So now they're building out their home gyms, they're getting tonals. And like it was like, it was almost like clockwork. They get the tonal installed two weeks later, we're getting a call from their agent or financial manager saying, Can we invest? And we we literally like picked up dozens of, of athlete investors in in just that one year. I love that. It reminds me, I, I had the founder of Whoop uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> several months ago, and yeah. he was saying that he was watching a commercial with LeBron and he's wearing a Whoop, basically. And <laughs> I, I imagine yeah. when you saw Steph in, with, in that pit, what was going through your head when you were like, when you saw that? I mean, I mean, you're, it's your head spinning. It's you're like, Oh my God, this is so cool. But then you're, you're like, wait, should I call him? And then and it's like, wait, does he like it? And why did he buy it? How did he find it? Like, you're, you're just like, you're, you're getting overwhelmed with all, all of these questions, but, but it's just, it's overwhelmingly cool because I think there's a tipping point where, where you kind of know that you've really achieved product market fit or you've achieved what some people call product momentum. And that was I think when that was happening, it was around that moment of time where like a bunch of things were dropping one after the other. And, and we realized that we achieved it, we'd achieved the momentum that we needed and that it was a hundred percent about execution. 
right? And our, our mindset completely shifted from like trying to prove this and trying to optimize that to like trying to keep up. Yeah. Was there any time during this journey with Tonal that you were thinking to yourself, hey, maybe this isn't going to work and had thought oh, about multiple times? <laughs> it's a hardware business. <laughs> like every, I, I talked to other hardware founders and every, like, every, like, you're not a hard, if you have, you've not built a hardware company if you haven't been like to the edge of the cliff and like looked into the abyss of like, of like obliteration. And like, there are multiple times I had lists of like, Oh, we're going to have to do layoffs. We're going to have to do this. And like, and like you start building your, they call it your life, life boat lists. You start building those. And, and those are all for the most part, pre-launch, right? When you're like, it's taking three and a half years to build this thing. You haven't even been in market yet. You haven't even proven it. And it's a hundred percent on like the faith and the goodwill of your investors who, who are like, yeah, I, I believe in this, even though it's taking a really long time. And yeah, like our series B was a really, really tough round, really tough. It took a really long time and it was scary. I think I took 350 meetings to raise that round. Wow. What was the fun? What obviously 350 meetings. It's so incredible to understand how difficult it is to raise money with it, with a great idea, right? With possibly a revolutionary idea. So during that time, was that, how did that round finally come about was and made it successful? I eventually met the right investors. And when I went out and raised my series B, I think I, I started out, you know, in a very traditional kind of traditional investor set. You talk to all your Silicon Valley investors and all that sort of stuff. And your your traditional investors who are like comparing this to like a SaaS investment, software SaaS investment or this or what have you, they were looking at this and they're like, ah, it's fitness, it's hardware. Then they're like, it's strength training. Like we understand why like people want to do cardio, but like do people really want to strength train at home? I'm like, why wouldn't they? <laughs> but but to them it was a question, right? And I ended up meeting two different sets of investors towards the end and got term sheets from both of them actually. And, and the one that ended up winning was Sapphire, was the Sapphire Sport Fund. And you got to realize we were like one of their very first investments. Like when they, when they invested in us, the fund wasn't even announced. They're like, Ali, the fund doesn't invest, it doesn't even formally exist yet, like out on the world. And you can't talk about it because we'll get in trouble with the SEC. Like that's how early it was. So I couldn't even talk about who invested or why. But when I met them for the very first time, and, and we still joke about this till this day, and they told me what their whole investment thesis was, like sports and technology. Technology. And like, I looked at them and I, in our first meeting, I looked, I looked at them and said, look, guys, if, if you don't invest in this, there's something wrong with one of us. Like, like what our, our, like our mission and your thesis are like perfectly matched. And it's been like one of the most, most amazing partnerships in terms of working with that, with our crew. And then they just re-upped over and over and over again. And we eventually crossed into their growth fund too, but you, you eventually have to find the right, the right people. And, and the timing was just tough because their fund was just coming together, but it worked out. So you've gone from sitting on that bench, figuring this out in your head, building this prototype on your own to now overseeing a business that is thriving and huge valuations. What is it that keeps you up at night now with the business? It changes. It obviously, to your point, it like your it changes over time. The things that keep you up. I think for me, it's really like, will this achieve its full potential? Like I now know how big this market is, what the opportunity ahead of us ahead of us is, and like how do we how do we go achieve achieve that full potential? And it turns out that a lot of that is is all about kind of company building and operating, right? It's about hiring great people, you know, protecting the culture. As you're like when you're adding, we had I think we onboarded 25 people on Monday of this week, right? When you, you had 25 people in one day, how do you get them to fit into the culture and understand who we are and the way we do things? How'd you go find great talent? How, how'd you make sure that all like, like we've gone through like great efforts to make sure every one of those 25 people was like way above our bar. And you realize that, that these things, like these battles are slippery slopes. And if you, you know, if you lose them an inch at a time, it starts to erode kind of your, your potential and you end up 
you know, dealing with performance issues or culture issues instead of the thing that really matters, which is our core mission. Uh, and that's really what, what keeps me, keeps me up at night right now. It's just like, there's so much building and so much executing to do, uh, to take this you know, all the way. How are you continuing to build culture? Like you said, you onboarded 25 people this Monday. I'm building a business now, a, a podcast business that builds podcasts for brands called Amaze Media Labs. We started during the pandemic. Half the people I've never met in person. I mean, we're a small shop. We have 20 people. But for me, my biggest challenge, I mean, we're, we're starting to build a culture. How are you able to continue this great culture, build this culture when you're bringing on all these folks where you're not congregating in one office or in multiple offices? Yeah, it's, it's hard. And I think that's the first step is to acknowledge that it's hard because if you just think it's going to work itself out, I promise you it's not. And so you, you have to be really, really intentional about it. And it, what COVID has done, and it's interesting because pre-COVID, we actually only had pretty much one office in San Francisco. Uh, and now we have offices in seven cities, right? And our fastest going, growing team is actually in Toronto where we opened up an office. And the ironic thing is we are going to outgrow the office and move into a new office without ever occupying the first office because <laughs> the entire time we had the office, we were, we were under like shelter and place orders in Toronto. But realizing that, you know, in a pre-COVID office culture world, a lot of things that would just happen by happenstance, you now have to engineer and you have to figure out how are we going to build relationships? How are we going to build trust? We're starting to like get very intentional about like what actually does need to happen in person versus what can happen remotely. And as we work through this and like really kind of think deeply, we're starting to like figure out what our, what our remote office culture is going to be like and how we're going to do offsites and how we're going to build those relationships and when people will be in the office and for what purposes. And it's a new world. Like we're having to invent it. But I think the most important thing is to realize that that A, it's not going to just solve itself and you got to acknowledge the problem and work on it. Um, and B, to also understand that actually, I, I believe all culture is intentional. Like I told, we were talking about, we actually just rolled out kind of refreshed culture, culture and values across the company. And one of the things I was telling the team is that the idea that there's good culture and bad culture is actually a bit of a misnomer. There's the right culture and the wrong culture for what you're trying to achieve. And the best example I can give you is like, if Tonal adopted the culture of the Navy SEALs, it would probably be a really terrible place to work. But if the Navy SEALs adopt the Tonal's culture, they'd probably die. Like they'd literally get shot. <laughs> and so like, clearly our culture is the wrong culture for them. Their culture is the wrong culture for us. So, you know, I, I have to go back to like, what are you trying to achieve? And when you know what you're trying to achieve and what, what parts, what elements of the culture are important to support that, then you can go engineer, like basically create the opportunities to build those types of relationships. If you're in a creative endeavor, it's very, very different, right? Like people, they need to huddle around whiteboards or look over each other's shoulders. And it's different than like our operations team, which is all about keeping a bunch of trains running on time and, you know, keeping things predictable. And like, that's a very, very different, different type of world and you need different subcultures, right? Yeah, totally. So before I let you go, I want to ask you, you'd mentioned earlier about what's keeping you up at night and just some thoughts there. And you said that tonal, how do we achieve what we really can, what the ultimate kind of goal is? What is that goal? Well, I mean, the way I see it is there's 45 million households in the US or about, uh, call it on average, 90 million people who are interested in a product like Tonal, who would want a personal trainer, who wants to work out at home, who have goals. And and for us, like putting a serious dent uh, into that market. And we, we think of that as, can we reach like 
10 million people in the next five years. You know, number one is, can we reach these people? And number two is, can we actually impact their lives and, and move, move the needle for them? And remember, we're not we're not building a group fitness experience like everyone else in the connected fitness sector. We're not like checking the box on, we elevated their heart rate and, and it was fun for them. Like it's not, we don't view the world as just that. We view it as like, we're a personal trainer. We're there to help them achieve a goal. Are we actually achieving people's goals? And part of that for us is now like, we're, we're literally, as I mentioned earlier, we're, we're rewriting the science of physiology because you ask a, a physiologist like, hey, if you have a 30 pound dumbbell, when should you go to a 40 pound dumbbell? The science for that's pretty clear. Hey, I have a system that can increase the weight in one pound increments and could actually do so every millisecond. <laughs> What's the optimal way to build muscle? And you just get blank stares, right? Like, well, no one's done that before. So we're we're literally we're literally having to go discover this stuff and and figure out how do we build muscle more effectively? How do we have people actually make sure they're achieving their goals? And remember, like you can use strength training to lose weight or gain weight, gain muscle or lose fat. Like, how do you even know which one you're doing? And we can now do that with a level of precision that was never there before. And so can we actually really drive outcomes for millions of people? And if we can do that and we turn those people into, into lifelong members, it's like that's how successful we've been with them. We're winning. I love it. It's amazing what you're doing. And thanks so much for coming on and sharing such an inspiring story. And I'm sure you just probably they're loving. I can imagine all the stories you hear from users who are changing their lives. So I just, it's amazing what you're doing and, and I hope it continues to grow. Thank you. We, we love those stories. We have a like, thriving community on Facebook. We get personal messages. I've personally gotten messages from multiple people who don't know each other, but they all say the same thing. Probably three products in my life that I've looked at them and realized the world was going to change was the iPhone, the Tesla, and now Tonal. I've literally gotten that message from multiple people. We've had people message us like everything from I went to the pet store, you know, pet food store, and I picked up a bag of dog food and I thought I picked up the wrong one because it was so light. And I just realized <laughs> I'd gotten stronger too. I've lived with debilitating back pain my entire life. And now that I've had a tonal for, for three months, the back pain has completely gone away. And by the way, we have clinical trials running with the Mayo Clinic for rehab use cases. So it really is an incredibly powerful tool. And it's, it's up to us to make sure that we truly impact people's lives in that way. Because we have, like for the first time, someone actually has that opportunity. It wasn't really there with dumbbells. Amazing. I love it. Keep it up. Thanks for coming on. And hopefully we'll be talking to you soon down the road as well when, uh, when you're taking over the world. <laughs> for sure. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You got it. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.